Welcome to the New England Baseball Journal podcast presented by Firecracker Sports. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's guest is newly hired Merrimack College head coach Brian Murphy. Coach Murphy is the seventh head coach in Merrimack program history. The Massachusetts native returns home to North Andover after he had four 30-win seasons with William & Mary, five CAA tournament appearances, and the school's first NCAA tournament at large bid. Coach Murphy was recognized as CAA Coach of the Year in 2014 after winning 34 games in his first year at the helm for the Tribe. Nine players who have competed for Murphy's teams have been selected in the MLB draft, with two players taken in the first five rounds. I'm looking forward to talking to Coach Murphy about his decision to come back home to his alma mater and what is what he has planned for the Merrimack program. Before we welcome Coach Murphy to the pod, let's review some of the ways that you can engage with us at New England Baseball Journal. As we head into the fall, we are starting to look ahead to the high school prep and college seasons at BaseballJournal.com. We have prospect rankings for each graduating class at the high school and prep levels. We also recently highlighted a total of 40 players who will be in the mix for the 2022 MLB Draft. Visit BaseballJournal.com to find any of those stories and sign up for our free email newsletter at BaseballJournal.com. We're also working on our fall edition of New England Baseball Journal. That will include prep previews as well as college features for the D1, D2, and D3 levels. If you want to receive the fall edition at your home or office, click on the subscribe tab at BaseballJournal.com. The publication will go to press in October. Thanks again for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Here's Brian Murphy. Hey, Coach. Thanks for coming into the studio. Glad to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on the new position at your alma mater. That's a, 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 It's got to be exciting. Uh, we spoke earlier. I think we spoke last week, and you still had to go back down to Virginia and tie up some loose ends. Uh, how crazy has the last month been for you and your family? Uh, it's been wild and it's, it's continuing, but it, it's all good. You know, we've been, uh, you know, we're, we're fortunate to, to have this opportunity to get back home. Um, my family's really excited about it, but you know, we get, uh, we get our, my family's still in Virginia. We got kids that are still in school. We're, you know, looking to buy a house, you know, and looking to, uh, you know, hit the ground running at Merrimack. So a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of juggling, but all good. It's going well. Thanks. Yeah. So are, are they planning on staying down there for the whole school year? Or? No, the, the, the goal is to get them up here by like Christmas, yeah. you know, so That'd be good. Yeah. So um, the timing of this hire obviously was a little bit different because usually, you know, at the end of the season, you know, either coaches get let go or, you know, people retire and you're trying to fill the position in June Um, with the timing, the way it was, how, how did it all come together for you? Like how quickly did all this happen? Yeah. um, Merrimack definitely wasn't something that was on our radar screen. Um, Leaving William Mary wasn't something that was on my radar screen. Um, It just, it just kind of happened, you know, and the timing was tough. Um, it was tough to leave, tough to leave our guys. It was re- re- at William Mary, really difficult, uh, really difficult conversations. Um, you know, I obviously was there a long time, a lot of really deep relationships, and it was very close to getting started again with a new group. Uh, but when the job did become available there, um, you know, of the 300-some-odd Division One baseball programs there are in the country, I only went to one of them, you yeah. know, and so obviously there's a draw to that, you know, and – Part of it was coming home, you know, and the ability to be close to family and, you know, get our kids back home before it's harder and harder to move them, the older and more established we get down there. And the other part of it is I'm really excited about what they got going on at Merrimack and the Division One transition and being a part of building again and all that kind of stuff. So timing, uh, timing's never perfect. And mm-hmm. it certainly is, there's some challenges right now, but, you know, we felt like it was the right move for us. 
Right. And you had a lot of success at William & Mary over an eight-year stretch uh, as head coach and then even one as an assistant. Uh, what about Merrimack? Um, do you think makes it so special that this was a worthwhile move for you? Yeah, it's, uh, the school in general has exploded. You know, it's been a long time. Uh, regrettably, it's been a long time since, since I was on their campus. You know, I graduated from there in 2003, and we actually got married there in 2009. And I haven't been back a whole lot since. Uh, to go back and to see the investment they've made, you know, in growing the size of the school, you know, growing the reputation of the school, investing in the facilities, you know, both academic and, you know, student services, residence halls, dining halls. Um, it's a completely different place. You know, it is, uh, you know, really, really attractive to, to student athletes. You know, from an athletic standpoint, obviously the move to Division One was um, – it was on purpose. You know, they're using athletics to help that mission of, of growing Merrimack. And, you know, I'm excited to be a part of that. You know, I think, um, I think our, you know, our best days are, are, are still ahead of us. You know, I think we're going to continue to, to grow and establish ourselves as a, as a factor, you know, in our conference, in the region. And, you know, that's exciting for me. I've enjoyed, you know, being at other places. I've enjoyed that type of build. Um, it appeals to me. I like the idea of having, um, you know, things to chase down. You know, and I think those are uh, those are definitely on the table for us right now. Yeah, you mentioned you hadn't been on the campus in a while. Is that intentional? Because if you if you're a head coach at another school and you're coming back on campus, maybe the, the residing head coach would be like, "Hey, what are you doing? This is my program now." Or was it just you, you're busy and you know didn't get back up here? Yeah, I just hadn't uh, just hadn't really been back. Um, we we drove through uh, one winter when we were up here, you know, Christmas time, and, and just kind of the quick. You know, we were going up 93 and hopped off the highway and kind of drove around for a bit, but hadn't really been back in much detail. And, uh, you know, w- when I was able to get up and talk to the administration about the position, you know, just, just being able to walk around and see the place and kind of, you, you know, you visualize yourself giving a tour. You know, when you're in, you know, when you're in my spot, you visualize, okay, here's how I'm going to present this place to recruits. And, you know, having, having now been up there for a couple of weeks and had a few recruits on campus, like it's a, it's a pretty appealing place, mm. you know, and. You know, hopefully, hopefully we can get some really good players up to check it out. Yeah. Do you think it would have been as appealing if they hadn't made the move to D to, from D two to D one? Like you wouldn't have gone from William and Mary to a D D two program, would you have? Um, I don't know. Tough to say. You yeah. know, probably not. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think uh, obviously the N D is a great league. You know, I played in that league, coached in that league. There's there's a lot there's a lot of really good baseball players, but you know, I like having been at Division one for know, fifteen years or so. Like you know, the appeal to stay there and all that was important to me. Yeah, because there's also, you know, that you're allotted more time to train. And once you're used to that, it's probably hard going backwards. But um, how closely have you followed the program in recent? Like, do you, are you familiar with the, were you pretty familiar with the roster before you accepted the position? No, um, we played them in 2020 at, at William Mary. So before the, uh, before COVID shut everything down, um, we played them in probably late March. I think it was our last series before COVID. Um, and I'm familiar with, you know, kind of what they've done. Um, you know, obviously they won the NE 10 championship a few years prior, which, which is great. I mean, it's an, it's an awesome achievement, a lot of really great programs in there. Um, and they got off to a great start in division one, you know, great credit to coach Parisi and his staff and, and their guys, some of whom are still there, you know, they, um, you know, were some really quality wins, you know, they were able to kind of hit the ground running. So, you know, I was familiar ish, you know, I, I knew some names, you know, obviously was across the field from them for three games, but wasn't, wasn't following on a day-to-day basis or anything like that. Yeah. Now you, um, 
you hear a lot about coaches who get, they get hired, they want to establish their culture. That's kind of their, uh, the bit, the buzzword you hear from everybody. What, what is kind of your first order of business when you accept the job, then what's the first thing you, that you wanted to do? Yeah, well, the, the way this went, um, with kind of the timing of everything, school was actually in session, yeah. you know, so it was, I don't know, the first couple of days of September. Um, so the first order of business w- was just to get up and meet the guys. So I made a trip up, um, really just to introduce myself in a sense, you know, we did one-on-one individual meetings for about 20 minutes a piece with each guy on the roster over like two days. And, you know, really just to kind of ease, ease their mind, you know, cause I know how it is. I mean, you're, you get there in September and you know, there's no coach. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to me? What's this new guy going to be like? What are we going to do? And, you know, to be able to, um, you know, just sit down with them and, and listen to them and, you know, kind of talk about, you know, I told them in the first meeting, I was like, hey, here's a couple things that I want from you guys that I'm going to ask of you. And then I said, before we meet next, I want you to think about what you want from me. You know, like, what are you guys looking for in your head coach? Like, you know, let's have a little back and forth. So we're able to make some of those introductions. Um, and then I had to head back to Virginia for a couple of days and then came back, I don't know, a week or so later, and we were able to do some skill work and get out on the field and you know, get a chance to see them, uh, see them in action a little bit and, you know, kind of meet them in a more relaxed environment, kind of, you know, on the field and some, some drills and things like that. So it's been good. And it's been a, uh, uh, you know, a slow transition. I don't, I don't have the staff all put together yet. So it's been really just me. So I've been able to, you know, interact a lot with the guys. Um, we've been doing like small group stuff, you know, kind of throughout the day and kind of getting them cranked up as we get into the fall here. What was some of the feedback you got from uh, players when you asked, you know, what do, what do you want from me? Was there anything like a familiar theme or? Yeah, um, I guess not to not to get too specific. I'll kind of keep that be- between us a little bit, between yeah. me and the guys. But, you know, I guess what they were looking for is pretty common from players. Like they wanted, you know, me to be all in for them. That was one thing I asked of them is to, you know, to show up for me every day and, and be ready to go. And they wanted the same thing from me, which which I certainly understand. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted a coach that was going to prioritize their development, which, you know, I think any player deserves that. And, you know, they wanted, um, you know, the ability to communicate and have some transparency with the coaching staff and all that. So I think those are, uh, pretty easy things to say yes to. And, you know, it was a good, it was a good jumping off point. Yeah. Uh, have you, have you thought about, or have you set goals in terms of, you know, things that you want to achieve with the program? Yeah. You always have goals. I mean, short term, long term, um, you know, and you, you try to hit benchmarks along the way. Um, I think, I think the number one goal right now is to just get as many people as we can to care about Merrimack baseball, you know, like to know who we are, to know what we're about, to know what we're doing. You know, that means people on campus, that means alumni, that means, you know, players, recruits, travel programs, um, you know, families of players, all that kind of stuff. Like I think it takes the more people you have in your corner, and, and building the program, the, the better off you are, you know? So now it's just about engaging people. Um, you know, hopefully I'm uniquely positioned to do that, you know, having been a player there and, you know, knowing some people, it's a little bit different than jumping into a place that you've never been, you know, at least I can share experiences and say, Hey, I've, I've done a lot of what we're asking these guys to do. Um, the second thing right now is to just give the current guys in the team, um, a great experience. You know, like I understand that they didn't choose me. I didn't recruit them. Like that's kind of the elephant in the room whenever you get to a new place, you know, but what I told the guys, if you wear the same jerseys, me, you're my guy. And I've been like that since I was five years old playing T-ball, you know, like it, it doesn't matter how we got here. I mean, they're great kids. Um, 
you know, like they they have a really good foundation. Like they, you know, their their energy's outstanding. Like they they know they know the deal. They know what they want to prove. They know what they want to get done. Um, I've enjoyed you know the couple of weeks we've had. You know, the goal recruiting wise is um, you know to get the, to get the best players and fit that we can get. You know, we're a little bit late in the process certainly on the 22s but there's still some really good players out there and then you know to kind of continue to grow those relationship and build those lists and, and target those guys moving forward that's interesting now you said uh you have it's just you right now you haven't really rounded out a coaching staff uh what how do you plan to do that uh, you know with things kind of kicking up here in the fall yeah um so i'm i'm, I'm kind of waiting on william mary to make their decision so they're uh my previous staff, um, obviously at William Mary, have a lot of loyalty towards and been with some of them for a long time. And I wanted to, I talked about this with Merrimack as I, as I was taking the job, kind of the plan on this. Um, I wanted to make sure that, that they had a spot, you know, whether it's, if it's down there and that's best for them, then outstanding, you know, good for them and whatever's best. Um, if it's up here, then obviously I'd love to continue to work with them. And I think the transition would be seamless. You know, you get guys that you already know and, can hit the ground running with. So I told the Merrimack guys right away that, you know, this is kind of the deal right now where this is how I want this to play out. It's a longer term decision. It might, you know, it might slow us down for a couple weeks here, but I kind of need, you know, both out of loyalty and out of, you know, what I think is right and best to let that situation down there play out. And then we'll react to what happens there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they still haven't filled their, the head coaching position there. Correct. Yeah. Um, now when you, when you talked about kind of engaging with the community and getting everybody to, uh, get, be involved or at least, you know, know of the program and, you know, support the program, are there things that you do in terms of either like camps or clinics or anything like that, that you can bring in the the local community and really get them engaged? Yeah. All all that'd be great. Mm -hmm. You know, like we we did a lot of that at William Mary with the local little leagues and, you know, coaches clinics for little league coaches and post game clinics for kids and all that. I know COVID's made that a little bit tougher the last, you know, 18, 20 months for everybody, but you know, not just that. I mean, whatever you can do to engage people, right. To get them on board, you know, to get them exposed to your guys, like, you know, your players and the games and the atmosphere and all that, like it's always a win, you know? So the more people we can, get out the more people that know we exist and what we're doing and who the people inside the program are the, the better off we'll be you mm-hmm. know so uh, even something like this and being here with you like you know hopefully people you know hear this i know they do and you know get a chance to you know get to know what we got going on up there yeah absolutely um now you said the first couple of weeks of practice it's more you know getting them in a more comfortable environment where it may, might not be like a one-on-one 20 minute thing they're getting to know you you're getting to know them would you say this is an opportunity for you to kind of assess the talent on the roster and consider roles or is it, is it still early for that? Yeah, it's probably a little early. Um, you're, you're always evaluating, you know, like whenever we're on the field together, you see what they do well, what they need to work on, what, what we can help them with right now. And you start to, you know, you always have that kind of ongoing lineup evolving in your, in your head, you know, when you're in this business, but you know, we don't have everything in yet, you know, like we haven't, we haven't dug too deep on anything like skill wise. It's more been like, you know, big picture stuff, you know, how do we practice? What are some of the standards? What are some like, you know, you know, 30,000 foot view, what do we want to be good at type stuff? And, you know, we got, we got a ton of time, you know, if, if memory serves, um, 
and I'm sure this is still the case, in December and January, it's a little tough to get outside in, in Massachusetts. So right, yeah. We're going to get a ton of time in batting cages to break down swings and to do mechanics and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and there'll be plenty of time to, you know, to, to dive into all that. You know, like what we've done so far has been really valuable. You know, it hasn't been, it hasn't been a lot, but it's been important. You know, and I think that's been, uh, that's been key for us. Yeah. Now you, I guess when there are a lot of schools in a close proximity, you know, obviously there's a lot of competition for recruiting purposes. There are a lot of D1 schools in the area, uh, you know, from Boston, even to, you know, Lowell is in, in the Merrimack Valley. How do you plan to kind of differentiate yourself in terms of recruiting? Because everybody probably wants local guys. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I guess it's unique to each kid, you know, like it's all about fit, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's some guys that aren't going to be fit for us and and we're not going to be fit for them. And that's okay. Like, you know, to, to know that is valuable too, because it helps you kind of, you know, bring your list down. I I think, I think recruiting's, you know, like there's so much that goes into it, you know, like I think it's, it's two parts effort and, and one part skill, you know, like there's the effort of, you know, knowing who's out there, you know, of having, relationships with people and having the guys that run the the travel programs and the high school coaches and the guys that work with players know that if they give Merrimack a, rec- a recommendation that we're going to go out and see their guys, you mm-hmm. know, and, th- and they need to know that. And I want them, I want them all to know that. Like if you got a player, we want to see them, right. And it's not that we can take all of them and you know, all that kind of stuff, but you know, we want to know who they are. You know, there's the effort of, of going out and doing that, you know, sitting out in the sun all day and driving around and watching dudes. And then there's the skill of, you know, being able to evaluate and knowing your roster and having some discipline for how you want to build your group and what's important to your program and what type of player you want and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I don't know that any part of that process is, is any more important than the other. Like, you go, you got to go out and see a bunch of dudes and you got to go out and, you know, know who's out there and, you know, you got to know what you're looking for and know how to project a little bit, you know, so... What our niche is, I'm not 100% sure yet. You're like, I'd, you're right. I mean, local guys, you, you got to build it with local guys. You know, there's enough, there's enough good players within, you know, 90 minutes, two hours of our campus that, you know, we got to get in the mix. That we got to make it an option for, you know, the Division One caliber players in the area. And that's, right. that's part of the job. Yeah. Uh, the facilities at uh, Merrimack have been kind of a work in progress over the last couple of years. Um, and now there's a there's a home field again. Uh, I think is it a Greater Lawrence? Yes. Yeah. Um, are you satisfied with the facilities for 2022 and beyond? Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously that's a huge question. Like it's like owning a house. You're, you're never satisfied with, with your facilities. You're always looking to upgrade and, and do different things. And you know, um, yeah, the field. I mean, it's basically a brand new turf field. Like it's it's hardly ever been played on. You know, like the covid year they i don't think they made it to the home portion of their schedule you know last year everybody's schedule was a little bit weird and you know i think they played less than 20 games total on it so you know brand new turf the lights are good you know like um you know the ability to get out there and you know all kinds of weather and and all that kind of stuff like so yeah it's um you know it's um it's a home for us you know like it's it's a place where you know we can get out and and get our work in it's you know the surface is good so yeah it's uh you know so far so good Good. Yeah. The, um, the pandemic has impacted college baseball in so many ways. Uh, roster size being a big thing because, you know, number one, the drafts are shorter in length now. Uh, guys redshirted, got an extra year, a lot of transferring going around, uh, going on right now. Uh, how do you plan to manage uh, the expanded roster sizes? Well, right now we're only at like 32, 33. So we're, we're under, 
um, you know, even the previous max. Um, we do have some fifth-year guys, you know, some guys that took advantage of the, the COVID redshirt. Uh, moving forward, you know, I think the next couple years, you know, across the country, not just certainly not just exclusive to us, you're still dealing with the continued eligibility stuff, you know, and those guys deserve that. I mean, they, they legitimately lost the season, you know, so I think there'll be a lot of guys at all levels of college baseball all over the country that, you know, want to get that experience back for a year and, and, and good for them. You know, like, um, you know, if if some of the, you know, returning guys at, at Merrimack want to continue to use that eligibility, then, yeah, let's have that conversation. You know, a lot of them have the opportunity to, you know, grad transfer and go other places, and, you know, that's fine too. So it's about each kid and, and you know, their family decision and what they're trying to do academically and where the fits are and all that kind of stuff. Um, moving forward, I think it'll equalize a little, equalize a little bit, you know, over the next couple of years once we get the the COVID waivers out of the way. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think your roster, your roster status is critical, right? It's your job running a program to make sure that you're kind of walking that line between getting enough talent in your program and giving the guys in your program a chance to, get better, you know, so it's not just turn and burn on, you know, 15 new, 15 new guys every year. Like you gotta, you know, you gotta trust your evaluation and give these guys a chance to, to play and, you know, um, let them get out there and get some experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now I want to go back to your baseball background. I know you played at Merrimack, um, and you were a captain at Merrimack. Is that right? Yeah. I graduated from there in 2003. 2003. Okay. Uh, how big was baseball in your family growing up? Was it something that, you know, were you watching it every night and, you know, was your dad a coach or anything like that? Yeah. Um, we love all sports, you know, like my, my parents are great. Like they're, they're going to be huge. They were huge Willie Mary fans. They were huge Merrimack fans. And I was a player they, they, they've, they've been awesome. They would have supported literally anything we did. Uh, but yeah, we've always been, always been very into sports. Um, you know, we'd watch Red Sox all the time. Uh, my brother actually played at Merrimack also. We uh we overlapped there for a year, um so yeah it was uh it was a good fit for us um so baseball was um played a few sports in high school and stuff but baseball was um I don't know if I was awesome at that either but it was certainly certainly my best option. Nice. And when did you start to get a sense that yeah you had enough talent to play beyond high school? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I think uh, I, I think I, I definitely ended up at the right the right program and the right level. I, I had to work hard to get on the field there. Um, you know, I was, uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't just because of talent that, that got me on the field. Like I had to, I, I had to put a ton into it. And what, what made you decide on Merrimack for college? Was it where you recruited there? Yeah, a little bit. Um, came down to Merrimack or UCLA and, oh. and Merrimack had better food. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, it was just, uh, it was, it was just the right fit. Like, uh, I don't know the recruiting process, like having gone through it, on this side and seeing how efficient it all is now and how early guys make their decision and all that kind of stuff. Like this is back in, you know, 98, 99, which is a million years ago now. But, you know, like I remember doing like, you know, overnight visits and going to a bunch of different campuses, even into your senior year. So I couldn't even tell you like when I actually decided to go there, but it was a great fit. You know, I met a lot of great people there. I met my wife there, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it worked out perfect. The New England Baseball Journal podcast will be back after these words. Firecracker Sports serves all first-time and experienced coaches that are looking for quality showcase tournaments to promote their players and teams. Firecracker Sports offers the most independently operated baseball and softball events in the Northeast region with qualified staff and college coaches to help you and your players get maximum promotion. Besides events, you can get all of your baseball and softball needs 
with Firecracker Sports player profiles, hotels, and even facility sales now. With Firecracker Sports, you can save time, effort, and money by getting all of your events, college resources, and customer attention in one place every season. Visit firecrackersports.com to visit the home of Showcase Baseball and Softball. And uh, what type of player were you? Like, what position did you play in college? I was a catcher. You were? Okay. Gotcha. And um, when did you start thinking about coaching uh, beyond college? Like, was that something you knew that you were going to do even when you were playing college baseball? Not really. Um, Kind of unique situation. So so our coach at Merrimack, guy named Barry Rosen, um, great influence on all of us, great guy. Um, He wasn't a full-time coach. He he taught uh, high school science. So, like, all you know when you're playing – is the experience you have inside that program. You know, like I knew that he was teaching science and running over to the field and, you know, we would get started and he worked his butt off for us. So I, I got a job with, uh, when I graduated, I got a job with a food company doing like marketing stuff. And I was getting done, I don't know, two o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. And it starts to get, you know, towards the end of the summer. And I just reached out. I was living in Easton in my parents' house at the time. I just reached out to the three programs around us, Stonehill, Bridgewater State, and Wheaton. I get an email back from Wheaton, and honestly, like, I didn't even know what I was getting into. You know, Coach Pabelski there wins about 90% of his games. You know, like, I couldn't have walked into a better opportunity to learn what it was like, you know, what it took, how thorough it was. Um, You know, I figured I'd just show up and, you know, wanted to keep going to the field and show up and throw some BP and hit some fungos and all that kind of stuff. And he kind of exposed me to all that goes into the job. You know, it wasn't, it was far from full time. I was still working and and doing all that stuff, but I at least got a taste of, um, you know, kind of what was, what it was like, what it was like to recruit, what it was like to break down a practice after the game. So, or excuse me, after practice, what it was like to, you know, kind of plan, um, you know, skill development and all that kind of stuff. So he kind of exposed me to the possibility of, of maybe doing this for a living, which was still a million years off when I was there. But then I was lucky enough to kind of keep progressing and eventually get to a full-time spot. And I, I still don't know how we got here, but here we are. Yeah. Now, why do you think he is able to win 90%? Is it because of that organization that, you know, that <laughs> process? Yeah. I haven't been with him for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, we're looking back. I was I was with him in 2004 and 2005. So okay. it was like my first two years out of college. And, uh, you know, like he's just he just does a great job of getting buy in from his kids. Like, you know, he does a great job of kind of getting um, getting their system implemented. Like, I'm sure if I haven't seen them play in a long time, but I'm sure if I went and watched them play in 2022, they're playing the same way they were in 2004. Right. And that's a huge credit to him. You know, like it's hard to, it's hard to get by in, you know, especially for that long. And, you know, the consistency that they've been able to put out there, it's, it's not by accident. So you said you were at Wheaton 2005, 2006, and then did you go to Brown from there? Is it? No. Um, went from Wheaton to Bryant. Oh, okay. So I connected with Jamie Penzino. Yeah. Who's been a huge part of my career. Um, left Wheaton. I was coaching down the Cape in Hyannis. Coach Pabelski got me got me an opportunity down there, exposed me to kind of all that stuff. And uh, when Coach Pins took over at Bryant in probably the summer of 2005, I was able to jump on with him. So they were 
Division two at the time, so I coached with him the last couple years of Division two, um, and then made basically the same transition we're making now at Merrimack from the NE10 to the NEC. Um, and we had some great teams. Um, we had some some really really good players. Um, learned a lot about like the build that I'm experiencing now. Like having gone through like literally this exact same transition, I can't believe how valuable it is now. You know, so it's cool like full circle almost. Yeah. And then how did you end up at Brown? Brown was like my first full-time baseball job. So we're talking like, I mean, I don't know, 10, 11 years into this deal. So Pins did a great job of kind of piecing it together for me at Brian. Like I was working, um, I was working it full-time. Like I was there all the time, but I was hustling around doing uh, a million different things. Like on campus, I was working, you know, doing some concrete form stuff like I was doing a million different things so so Brown and, and coach Drabinsky um this was shortly after we got married and, and before our first son was born um gave me my first full-time baseball job so like obviously you know huge credit to to him and, and to Brown for allowing me to stay in it like there's there's nothing better than getting that first uh getting that first paycheck so yeah and you were so you had two roles there. You were the recruiting coordinator as well as a hitting coach at Brown now which of those two roles came more naturally to you definitely on the field stuff yeah Yeah. um recruiting the ivy league is very difficult i have a ton of credit for those guys um really different you know like it's very national um obviously it's a lot of like single shots at evaluating guys like you fly to california for a weekend and you know you evaluate the guys and you're either right or, or you're wrong based on what you see and that's difficult like you know i've since then, I've tried to be really thorough with evaluating, see guys a lot, see them when they're good, see them when they're bad, see how they react. But that's not really an opportunity for that in that league with kind of the pace of everything and how much ground you have to cover. So, yeah, definitely the on-the-field stuff came a lot more natural. Yeah. Have, have those two positions, like recruiting coordinator, seems like it's changed a lot, you know, over the last decade of the way people recruit. And, um, you know, the, all these kids are going to showcase events, and you can find out they're their exit velocity and spin rate and all that stuff where that might not have been available to you 10 years ago. Um, and even hitting coach, you know, same type of thing. You're, you're a lot more video analysis. Have those roles changed pretty significantly? I think it depends on the level and it mm-hmm. depends on the program. Like, you know, there are some, some levels of college baseball where I don't think the recruiting coordinator is really on the field all that much. You know, they're just gone all the time, you mm-hmm. know, and they're getting – they're getting players, you know, really young and, you know, they're out there, you know, they're missing, missing midweek games and all that kind of stuff. I've never personally experienced that, but I know that, you know, some of the uh, higher level conferences, that's, that's fairly common. Um, you're right. The on the field stuff changed a lot. Like it's, I tell people all the time, it's, it's really hard to coach hitters in, in 2021, 22 and pitchers, you know, like there's so much, so much information out there, which is all good um, and all helpful. But to be able to reduce it down to actually helping your guys, you know, to be able to um, develop a plan that they believe in that helps them on the field now and makes them better, it's um, there's just there's just a lot that goes into it. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Coach Decker, who was in here for a podcast a couple of weeks ago from Harvard, and he was saying guys um, can almost become consumed by the, all the data, and you know they want to see. After every swing, what was the exit velocity on that? Like, and that's too much. You want them to get in there and hit and compete, and not always be worrying about those numbers. So the, uh, some of that stuff can become uh, overwhelming. But um, 
is that stuff that you have access to at uh, Merrimack, or will you not really be using as much of that? Yeah, we'll definitely try to build in that area. I do think it's important. Like my experience is, the players are going to get that somewhere. Right. Like they know that they know that this data exists. They know that it's out there. They know that it can help them. So part of our job as a program and as coaches is to try to help them use that data to drive their development. Like it doesn't mean that we're trying to kind of, we're not a slave to the numbers. Like our, the, the goal isn't to get your spin rate to X, Y, or Z. The goal is to know what your spin rate is, you know, see if maybe there is a way to improve it. But if we can't, try to use it to develop a pitch mix that helps you get guys out in college right now for us. You know, that's just kind of one example. So, you know, just knowing how to use that data to make it helpful, to make it like actionable to the kids. So it's like, okay, here's what I know. Like this isn't, this isn't pulled out of nowhere. Like this is actual data, you know, the same ones the guys are using on TV and here's how it's going to help my game. You know, mm-hmm. like if you're, you know, if your launch angle is, you know, only resulting in, you know, F sevens all day, then it doesn't matter what your launch angle is, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it's about using all that stuff that's out there and using it to your advantage instead of being a slave to it. You know, that's kind of my thought on it. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, how did you end up at uh, William and Mary? Um, reconnected with, with Jamie Penzino. Mm-hmm. So he was, obviously we were together at Bryant. I left for the full-time position at Brown. When he became the head coach at William & Mary, um, gave us the opportunity to go down with him. Um, and it worked out awesome. It was the biggest gamble I've ever made professionally until, I guess, until this one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was... Uh, it worked out great. You know, like we, we had a, our son was like six months old at the time. You know, it was, it was a big move for us. Uh, first time we'd kind of ventured out of New England, but, um, you know, professionally it was, it was great for us. You became a head coach after just one year at uh, William & Mary. Now, was, um, did you feel like, looking back on it, do you think you were ready to lead a program that, you know, when you first got that head coaching position? Yeah. Um, that group wasn't going to let me not be ready. You yeah. know, like. 2013, we, we got an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. You know, we were a game away from going to a Super Regional. We lost to Carlos Rodon, one nothing on ESPN. And, you know, like, we were, we were right there. And then Pins went to Oklahoma um, as a pitching coach, and I was able to, to get the head coaching position. And, uh, you know, that group was awesome. Like, those guys were – they were grown-ups. Like, anybody could have coached that team, in all mm-hmm. honesty. Like, you know, those, they, knew, they knew what to do. You know, they knew how to do it. You know, they didn't know any other way. You know, like, and they played their butts off, and they kind of allowed us to do everything we did following that at William and Mary's is because those guys set a foundation for us. Hmm. What were some of the uh, biggest challenges that you had, um, you know, once you took that head coaching position that you maybe didn't think about before when you were an assistant? Yeah, the biggest thing is you're not going to make everybody happy all the time, you know, um, and, and you learn that real quick. You know, like, once you move up, once you move up one seat, you know, your conversations become different. You know, like when you're, when you're the assistant, you don't have to have many hard conversations. Like that's, that's not your job. You know, when you're, you know, when you're kind of the, the last man standing, like, you know, sometimes you got to deliver news or or be the hard guy. And some of that, you know, didn't come supernaturally for me. Um, And it took a while to get it, but you know, you eventually, you eventually get used to it. You know, we had a great staff. Uh, Brian Casey, who's now the head coach of Coast Guard, was with me the whole way, um, you know, basically for like nine years until until he went up there. And he was a huge help kind of in the transition. Yeah, you don't really think about that. Like if you're an assistant, 
uh, you're not going to get blamed for a guy who's not playing. You know, you can be like, oh, yeah, you should be out there. And then, they, you know, it gets all on the head coach's shoulder. But uh, how would you describe your style as a, as a coach? Is it, you know, you know, the way that you play or, you know, the way that you interact with the players? What's your style? I guess that's probably better, better answered by a player, I guess. Um, I, I try to be – I try to be really prepared. Like I want the guys to know that we're going to be ready for them every day. You know, like this is, I don't have a ton of hobbies. This this is all I do. I'm like the most boring person to laugh. So, you know, we'll get out there. We'll be, we'll be ready for practice. Like we'll be ready to go. Um, you know, I want, if you're going to measure me as a coach, I guess, like one is, is, is do you guys get better, right? Are they better sophomore year than they were freshman year? Are they better junior year than they were sophomore year? All, all the way through, right? Secondly is do they know what they're doing, Right can they play the game? Like, do they know where to go, where to be, how to handle things? Right. And the third thing is, do they play hard? Right. And sometimes that trumps everything else. You know, if you can get them to play hard and, and to believe, then, you know, you, you've done a lot, you know? So, so philosophically, I guess like that's kind of the, the bedrock stuff on the field. You know, obviously you got all the other off the field stuff, um, you know, like style wise, like I think, I think balance is critical. Like in my mind, I want to win every game seven to three. You know, like I want to be good enough where we can win sustainably. Like if you're trying to win one nothing, really, really hard to do. You know, if you're trying to win 12-11, really, really hard to do. You know, so try to create balance. Um, try to be able to, you know, win all types, but to have a foundation where you can be a pretty complete club. You can be hard to play against. Yeah, I was reading uh, a really nice article about you in the uh, William & Mary student newspaper. I don't know if you saw that one after you left. And a lot of your players had some really positive things to say about you, um, even after you had uh, moved on to another program. One of the things that they all seemed to agree on was that one of their favorite things was Team Day, um, which they loved. And it, it explained it a little bit, but uh, what is Team Day and uh, how did you come up with the idea? Yeah. Uh... I deserve very, very little credit for Team Day. So I think I am probably the original inventor. So this is when Pins and I were at Bryant. Um, but we took it to William Mary, and uh, Brian Casey basically resurrected it. So he, he deserves the credit. I, I'll, uh, hopefully he's listening. Um, basically what it is, it's just, it's just ways to compete away from the diamond. You know, So we've done everything you can imagine as far as like different sports or you know, different, uh, you know, different competitive, you know, uh, like conditioning competitions, all sorts of different like team building stuff within it. So, you know, just, uh, just being able to put these guys in environments and situations where you're fostering that competitiveness, you know, because if you try to work on it for the first time in the seventh inning, when it's two to one, you're not going to have it. Right. So what would be some of the, the things that you would compete in? Is it like golf or We've tried, we've tried them all. Like, yeah. I mean, I've seen some of the worst, you know, some of the worst tennis matches you could ever imagine. Like I've seen, you know, guys racing around Colonial Williamsburg, pulling a tug of war rope. Like I've seen, uh, you know, every type of obstacle course that you could ever think of. So we've done, we've run the gamut. There's been, there's been a lot of different, uh, a lot of different competitions. Yeah. That sounds like fun. Uh, William and Mary, I'm reading this because I just wanted to remember the name of the, the achievement, but they won three straight awards for ABCA for academic achievement. Um, in what ways or how do you make academics such a priority in your program? Uh, I think it's just one, it's recruiting the right guys, you know, like you have to legitimately want to do both. Like you can't, you can't go to college and just want to play baseball. 
right? It's not what you sign up for, right? When you go to play anywhere, you know, whether it's, you know, Merrimack, William & Mary, anywhere really, you're signing up for the whole package, you know? So part of it's just reminding them, or well, the first part is getting the kids that want to do that. Like they want the degree, they want that experience, their family understands what they're getting into. Um, the second part of that is just reminding them of it, you know, because you get there, you get around, you know, a campus environment. Like sometimes, especially for the young guys, the priorities take a while to kind of get ingrained, you know, so reminding them. The third part is monitoring it. You know, like it has to be, it has to be something that you track as a coach. Like you can't just say, Hey, you know, we'll find out in December what your grades are. Like there's different schools have different methods for doing that and different uh, support structure, but it's got to be important. Um, you know, it's part of, honestly, it's, it's a measurable as a coach. Like if we're winning, you know, 54 games, but all our dudes are failing out of school, that's not good enough. You know, so we got to make sure these guys get this degree. It's part of the, part of what we owe to them and their families. Now you mentioned uh, Coach Pins a few times. Are there um, are there other guys that you kind of seek out uh, as mentors or for advice um, throughout? Or have you been at it long enough that you kind of don't don't look for that anymore? No, I'm 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 open to anybody for advice. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's just there's just so many guys in the coaching community that can help you. Um, you know, some of it's just you know you're sitting behind the backstop at a game and you're talking to somebody about you know how do they how do they train their relievers or what do you do. You know, what do you do in this situation? I love talking baseball. Like, I'm, I'm kind of a junkie for it, you know. So I'll talk to anybody, not just college coaches. You know, we'll call guys in the, in the pro game or anybody that, anybody that can, you know, expose you to something you might not have thought of. Like, I'm a, big, I'm a big evaluator of, like, what we're currently doing. All right, we might believe in it now and it might work, but it might not always be the best thing to do. Like, I, I know we've changed – you know, a lot of things like I used to bunt a ton, you know, like, I don't know if that's way out of fashion now, but like we don't sacrifice nearly as much as we used to. Like nothing's changed more in the past five years than how you train pitchers. Like some of the stuff we're doing now wasn't even on anybody's radar screen, you know, five years ago, five months ago, in some cases, I don't know what it'll look like five years from now, you know? So you got to evolve. You got to get input from a lot of people. You got to, you know, you got, you got to keep working at it. Like, I don't have any. I don't have anything figured out. Yeah, I was just listening to a podcast the other day with uh, Eric Cressy, who's uh, with the Yankees now. He's a strength and conditioning guy, and it was about whether pitchers should shut down for a while in the fall, or whether um, you know they should try to stay engaged and keep pitching, keep throwing, and then that way you know they don't have the build back. Um, what's your philosophy on that? Yeah, it's a great question because that is the most dangerous time that build back. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to go listen to that podcast with Eric. He certainly knows that stuff inside and out. I do think the downtime is valuable. Um, I think there needs to be a refresh, um, especially for your young pitchers, because it can be, if a guy's going to pitch a lot early in his career, like if you're going to even go out there and log some innings, it's remarkable how much more taxing the high school season is than anything else they've experienced, right? Because, you know, a high school season in Massachusetts, if you get 20 games in, you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not just the game stuff. Like it's all the daily throwing stuff, which is important. Like there's a lot more structure, um, you know, all the arm care stuff. Like you can be pretty physically taxing for the guy. So they need some, they need some, uh, they need some downtime. You got to be aware of how you're building it and kind of how you're ramping them, how you're, how you're deloading them into it and how you're ramping them out of it is really important. Like there's no, there's no magic bullet for keeping guys healthy. Like you just try to, 
think and plan and, you know, be as individual with it as you can, you know, and, and try to um, think about guys, different situations and a lot of it's experience and what's worked in the past. And, you know, um, so yeah, it's a, uh, it's a huge part of it. Yeah. And uh, his, that was kind of his point that it's kind of a player by player thing. You can't just do a blanket rule for everybody. You got to kind of see where guys are at individually. Um, now for guys who are listening to this perspective, recruits, high school guys, or even their parents, you know, they always want to know how to get looks. If they're interested in Merrimack, what's the best way to kind of get on your radar? Is it, do they send you video? Do they reach out with an email or what, 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 what advice would you give them? Yeah, we gotta, we gotta know who you are. Um, you know, obviously some of that comes from recommendations and some of that's on us to reach out to the right folks to know, to know who these guys are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're, um, if a kid's reaching out directly, yeah. I mean, you know, email, um, if they can attach a video, that's great. If they can send a schedule, that's great. You know, we're always looking to videos terrific and it helps and it allows us to get kind of a snapshot of, you know, who this player might be, but we're always looking to follow up if there's interest there to see him in person, you know? Um, so yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I would encourage, I would encourage them to be as proactive as they can as early in the process as they can. Yeah. Yeah, the video, and now it seems like everybody has video. You look at Twitter and everybody's, hey, look at this bomb I hit this weekend at this showcase event. Uh, it's pretty impressive. But um, I know COVID is still somewhat of a factor on college campuses. What What's the fall going to look like at Merrimack in terms of baseball? Will he be uh, any scrimmages with other teams or just inner squads? Yeah, just inner squad. Uh, well, we may, we may try to end our fall by playing somebody else. Um, there was a little transition with getting going where – um, the guys were kind of a little bit in limbo between summer ball and starting back up for the fall with us. So we took it really slow uh, with kind of rebuilding them and making sure we got a foundation before we jumped into anything. So we're a little bit behind, like, um, you know, some of the outside gameplay stuff. So we may get a game in um, before we shut down. We'll do some inner squads, you know, try to get these guys kind of, you know, where we're, where we're in 100% control of pitch counts and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we'll get some game opportunities in and, and maybe one against somebody else kind of the, the middle of October. Hmm. And I know uh, it's been a while since you've been in North Andover uh, or on the Merrimack campus, but um, are there any places, you know, since you've been back up north here for the last couple of weeks that you've visited that is, you know, since you've returned that you used to frequent in college? <laughs> Not sure I can answer that. Uh, um yeah, there's a lot of things, uh, a lot of a lot of specific places up there, like restaurants and stuff like that that are still up and running. Like we really, we really, there's no 99s down in Virginia. Big 99 guy. Yeah, uh, the pizza up here is dramatically better than than, uh, than anything you could get down there. So mostly food food related things, uh, you know, that are that are still uh, still uh, still hot spots after what 20 something years. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come in here in person and uh, talk about your your goals for the program. It sounds like it's a, an exciting time for you and your family. Uh, it's it, uh, you know what's funny? It's a kind of a cold day today. You're not regretting making the move up here, you know, on a cold day like today in the fall. <laughs> no, nah, we're all good. Bring it on. We'll take whatever comes. Nice. Well, coach, thank you so much for coming in, and uh, good luck with your fall and spring season. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Thanks again to Brian Murphy for coming on the pod. It's always interesting to hear the enthusiasm and excitement that new coaches bring to the table when they take on a new position, especially for Coach Murphy coaching at his alma mater of Merrimack College. Before we close out the pod, a few programming notes. Rate, review, subscribe to the New England Baseball Journal podcast on your preferred platform. Be sure to subscribe so you can get an alert on your phone when each new podcast goes live. To keep up with all things New England baseball, visit baseballjournal.com. We update the site with new stories daily. Click the subscribe tab to get the fall edition mailed to your home or office. Follow us on Twitter at NE underscore baseball. We also want to hear from you. If you have recommendations for guests or questions that you'd like me to ask, send a DM on Twitter or email dguttonplan at baseballjournal.com. Thanks again for listening. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast.